Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detail today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. A lot of the disasters that we see could be prevented or at least like the damage can be lessened by how these buildings are prepared or built. Like it's better to have a good offense than a defense or or how they say like it's better to be proactive than reactive. So isn't it the reverse? Oh yeah. In this <laughs> case, yeah. True. It's better to have a defense. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Fight the storm. Um no. Assalamualaikum. Welcome to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is Living Legends. We are talking about ladies who are alive and over 80 years of age who have contributed to their profession and continue to inspire us to this day. Literally, Living Legends. <laughs> Today, we'll be talking about Yasmin Lari the first woman to practice architecture in Pakistan. I'm Nurjiri Rivas, returning from a long walk with my husband and my dog in Houston, Texas. And I'm Jessica Rogers, getting ready to bridesmaid the crap out of my cousin's wedding this weekend, based out of Miami, Florida. <laughs> hey there, I'm Lizzie Rahr, prepping for my family to arrive this week in San Francisco. As always, we're not experts, we're just sharing stories about the information that we find as friends having a fun conversation. If you find an error, send us an email and we'll all continue learning together. Last time, I began telling you guys about Yasmin Lari, but I went overboard with the information and ended up needing to split it into two episodes. Right. So if you haven't heard episode 91 yet, pause this episode and go listen to that one so you can learn about the first half of Yasmin's life and everything that led up to what we are going to talk about today. 
Actually, let's do a recap right now anyway, because let's just relive her greatness. Mm. Good idea. Okay. Last week on Shibo's podcast, Yasmin Asan was born in Pakistan in 1941. Her father was an ICS officer during British rule who worked on major development projects in Lahore and other cities, which was how Yasmin started learning about and becoming interested in architecture. As a teenager, she fell in love with Suhil Zahir Lari and moved to London. But that didn't stop their love. He would end up going to college in Oxford, and eventually the both of them would marry in 1962. Before getting married, though, Yasmin applied to architecture school and was not accepted because she didn't draw. They suggested she go to art school first, which she did for two years, applied again to architecture school, and was accepted into the program at Oxford Polytechnic, known today as the Oxford Brookes University School of Architecture. While in architecture school, Yasmin was married and had her first child, a daughter. A year after that, she graduated with her architecture degree in 1964. After college, she and her young, growing family moved back to Pakistan. There, she started her own firm, Lari Associates, in the city of Karachi. And just like that, she became the first woman architect in Pakistan. Five years later, she became a member of the Royal Institute of British Architects, Reba. She was rocking the architecture world. We dived into some of her most iconic projects, Anguri Bag Housing, ABH Complex, built in the 70s, the Taj Mahal Hotel in Karachi, the Ladi Residence and the Finance and Trade Center in Lahore, built in the 80s, and the Pakistan State Oil House in the 90s. While Yasmin was running a successful architecture practice, she and her husband were also starting and running the Heritage Foundation of Pakistan, which, by the way, is still going strong to this day. Their mission, as stated on their website, is to document and conserve the traditional and historic built environment of Pakistan, create an awareness of Pakistan's rich and diverse historic architecture and art, and to promote cultural heritage for social integration, peace, and development. They cataloged and shared their findings for almost 600 structures in the city of Karachi. They pushed her legislation to make protecting these places a law, such as the Sindh Cultural Heritage Preservation Act passed in 1994. Through this legislation, the Heritage Foundation was able to protect a huge number of heritage sites. And then in the year 2000, Yasmin announced she was retiring from architecture practice. Which we should know by now, that means absolutely nothing on this podcast. Either they don't retire at all, or they take on a second career. Yeah, apparently. I was so shocked that her retirement could take up a whole episode. Wild. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's where we left off in our last episode. Yasmin retired. So today we're going to learn what that means for her. Can't wait. Same. Let's continue her story. In her so-called retirement, she published a lot. I didn't mention in our last episode, but Yasmin actually had a lot of publications throughout her career, even before the 2000s. I found a list of all her books, articles, papers, and I counted more than 45. And out of those 45, only 10 were before the turn of the century. So a lot of this work is focused on preservation. I wish I had all the time in the world to read all of it, or I had a job that paid me to read these papers. That would be so great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
That is so much writing, though. I, like, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. But, Nergity, you should really work on your speed reading so that maybe you can accomplish your goal. Oh, okay. Or maybe just, you know, reading her work will be a part of your retirement plan, Nergity. There you, you go. just retire mm-hmm. and just read. I remember an architect told me that her career, she was surprised at how much writing she had to do. But I don't think she meant, like, Yasmin's level of writing. (laughs) (laughs) You know? But I love that Yasmin was talking about this, or is talking about this. So, Najidi, did her writing go far? Like, I know she published books and stuff, but, like, did it go, like, past academia or, like, the AEC circles? I believe so. I think that she's well-known in Pakistan and— people became interested in her efforts and her writings. Mm. To the very least, people that are not necessarily in the building industry, but are interested in historic preservation, know about all these writings. Cool. Her passion for historic preservation keeps her serving as an advisor to the UNESCO. Yeah, UNESCO. How fancy is that? Mm. And also, she is the executive director of the Heritage Foundation Pakistan, Remember the foundation that she started in the 80s, just for fun, because it's important work. Mm -hmm. In 2002, her foundation won the UN Recognition Award for their work to promote cultural and historic conservation. So impressive. That's amazing. UNESCO, UN, wow. Right? Wow. And if that's not enough— She is also the chairperson for the Caravan Initiatives. Yasmin started the Caravan Initiatives in 2001 to raise awareness about buildings with historic significance that needed maintenance and preservation. As explained by Kasif Hussein for an article for the Express Tribune in Pakistan, through the Caravan Initiatives, and I quote, Sittings were organized on the city's footpaths to highlight the importance of the cultural heritage. Hundreds turned up to these sessions. In fact, one session within the boundary wall of the Empress Market drew a crowd numbering into the thousands. Wow. Wow. Sounds like this initiative really sparked interest and Mm -hmm. raised a lot of awareness for these buildings. Mm -hmm. Okay. I keep joking that Yasmin didn't retire. But in her defense, she announced retirement from architectural practice, not from work in general. Okay. So, it makes sense that she kept doing a bunch of other things. And even if her dream would have been to just chill, write books, and lead organizations, fate had a different something else planned for her. In 2005, northern Pakistan suffered an earthquake of 7.6 magnitude on the Richter scale, killing 80,000 people and leaving 400,000 families displaced. That's horrible. Earthquakes really are no joke. We've talked about the 1906 San Francisco Mm -hmm. earthquake before on our show, which was a 7.9 magnitude. Earthquakes are definitely disconcerting when you feel them. The biggest one that I've ever felt was only 4.4, but it was really strong at the beginning and it woke us up at like 2.30 in the morning. It felt like a car ran into my apartment building kind of thing. Wow. So I can only imagine how devastating this one was. Also, right after I read this script and wrote that explanation, that night we had 
a 4.1 earthquake. <gasps> and like, it was one of the biggest ones I felt in a long time. And stuff fell off of our shelf and broke. It was like serious. Ugh. Whoa. You didn't tell us that. You're okay? Oh, yeah. I mean, we were fine, but. Yeah. Well, she's here. Uh, earthquakes are so scary. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I would do if I ever, like, experienced one. They just make me so nervous. Okay. So, Nerjiti, you were right in saying that Yasmin did, in fact, retire from practicing architecture. But I can also imagine that after an earthquake like this, Yasmin would go back into practice just, mm. just to, like, get back in. Yeah. So she started thinking about all these things. And she said, and I quote, I felt I had to go and help. I had no idea what I could do as an architect. I'd never done any disaster work or any projects in the mountains. I had no workforce. I'd given up my practice. But I found that if you do something beyond your usual comfort zone, then help will always come. I'm really glad that she found that to be true. And it sounds like she knew she needed to help somehow, but just didn't quite know how to do it yet. I mean, it's something that we've talked about as architects. There's so much that we can do outside of, like, traditional architecture. And we've just never talked about it in this scenario. But I think this quote is a good example of this. But similar to what Yasmin is saying, right, if you don't go outside of your comfort zone, you won't know what is out there, or in her case, that there's help and assistance that can help you figure it out. Yeah. Right. As per usual, international aid agencies built expensive prefab concrete and steel sheet houses. But Yasmin thought that there should be another way. So she focused on teaching volunteer locals to use local materials like bamboo and mud plaster and traditional building methods and architecture. They built shawras, which are one-room homes in Pakistani villages. They look similar to small huts. This reminds me again of episode 56, Rivati Kamath and her mud architecture. Like going back to basics, essentially. Yeah, that does remind me of Rivati. This also reminds me of an AIA program done here in the States. Or it's a program that's done with AIA. Anyway, it's called the Disaster Assistance Program. It's where architects are taught how to respond to situations like these. Like how to build after natural disasters, how to determine the safety of a building after a natural disaster, and stuff like that. So if you're interested, I would look into that. I will. I didn't know about that. That sounds really interesting and important. Yeah, like I don't, I don't have any interest in practicing architecture, but I would do this <laughs> program. Like, I, that's what I would want to do. Listen to Yasmin's insight. She says, I think we often misunderstand what kind of help is needed. As an outsider, you do things that you think are appropriate, but the reality here is different. The aid mindset is to think of everyone as helpless victims who need things done for them. But we have to help people do things for themselves. There is so much that can be done with what's already there, using 10 times less money. That is so true. I think we often come in with ideas of how things should, quote-unquote, be done. But it's better to understand the area and the culture of the place you're building in if it isn't your usual atmosphere, right? There could be different solutions that you're ignoring or you're unaware of. Yeah. This was the beginning of Yasmin's second career. 
a career as a humanitarian architect. Now, she and the locals she helps train build houses for people in need, especially those affected by environmental disasters like flood and earthquakes. This is so great. I love this. I also like this new term that I just learned, humanitarian architect. Very cool. Mm. Maybe that's what you could be, Jessica. Maybe. Maybe. There you go. There you go. This didn't come out of nowhere, though. She was obviously invested in her country from the very beginning through all the work that we've discussed. We spoke last time about her work for low-income communities and housing. And also, her upbringing influenced her to do this work. Even though she came from a privileged family, they taught her that empathy and the importance of helping those in need go hand in hand. She lived through the separation of British rule India into Pakistan and India. She saw the refugees on both sides of the border. Her parents were both very actively involved in the relief efforts for migrants. Her mom would often go to refugee camps and provide people with whatever needs that she could. Clothes, blankets, anything. Yeah, it sounds like she had a lot of examples of helping those around her when she was growing up that influenced her work later on. Mm-hmm. Her parents taught her right. <laughs> for all this amazing work she had been doing for her country, in 2006, she got one of the highest civil honors one could get from the Pakistani government. The Sitara e Imtias for her contributions to the profession of architecture and her conservation efforts of historical sites in the country. Yay, Yasmin! Yeah, go Yasmin! Woohoo! And then the government recognized her again in 2011 with the inaugural Wonder Woman of the Year Award. Amazing. Woo-hoo. Okay, first inaugural, so she was the first. So that's cool. Um, Wonder Woman of the Year, like that's just cool. Just like just the, yeah. t- the award, like just she's a Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to win that. Yeah. In 2013, there was a big flood in the Pakistani Sindh Valley region and an earthquake in the Balochistan province. And two years later, one in Sangla. This was a lot of disasters going on. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for creditworthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA Continuing Education Services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything, from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin 
shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Yasmin designed shelters using a cross-braced bamboo frame, which is known as the Tiji technique. It's a local construction method. Yasmin conducted experiments of this structure at the NED University in Karachi. They placed it on a shaking surface and learned that the structure could withstand an earthquake more than six times stronger than the one in 1995 in Kobe, Japan, which was 7.2 on the Richter scale. Whoa, that's awesome. That sounds like a really pivotal technique that doesn't cost much and could be easily rebuilt if needed. Exactly, because another benefit of building bamboo structures is that if something ever happened to it, it could be easily rebuilt. Mm -hmm. You can't say the same thing about concrete and steel in those areas. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's more sustainable material-wise. So this is great. Right. Yeah. Yasmin argues that we have a lot of money and effort going into disaster relief, but we should really be putting more into disaster preparedness and we should study more localized solutions rather than catch-all designs that are meant to work everywhere, which end up being the best solution for nowhere. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I could see the benefit of that for sure. Amen, sister. A lot of the disasters that we see could be prevented or at least like the damage can be lessened by how these buildings are prepared or built. This model of teaching locals to build their own homes using local techniques and preparing for disasters is something that she calls barefoot social architecture. And it's a very interesting approach to design. A lot has been written about this to all of you interested in learning. Check it out. You should literally Google barefoot social architecture and prepare yourself to lose hours of your life just reading. But it's not losing. It's pretty much investing. You're gaining. Enrich. You're, you're enriching. <laughs> yes. Yes. I foresee some reading in my future. Mm -hmm. Since the first decade of the 21st century, her foundation has built more than 50,000 Pakistani homes. That's so many families that have been positively impacted by her and her foundation. I'm like in a happy shock when I say that. That's amazing. This is incredible. The barefoot social architecture movement has evolved into a barefoot entrepreneur model. 
Her foundation has set up training programs to teach different communities a certain set of skills or traits, building components and products that villagers can sell to each other. For example, mud bricks, composting eco-toilets, soaps, ceramics, glazed tiles, bamboo, on and on and on. According to the foundation, 80% of the communities that have embraced this model have been raised above the poverty line. Wow. That is so great. I love that they're not only implementing these techniques, but they're like teaching the local community to utilize them themselves mm -hmm. so that it becomes self-sustaining, right? Mm -hmm. I can also imagine that with a program like this, it's like empowering the community as well. Right. And these numbers, like, uh, they speak for themselves. That is so impressive. Yeah. One of the projects that she's most proud of is starting a program to teach women to build chula stoves, which are smokeless earth ovens that <laughs> cost less than $7 to make. So let me explain this. The traditional way of cooking in many of the rural communities she works with are open flame fires on the floor, which, well, are a little dangerous, but they're also bad for the lungs and the eyes, and food could get contaminated when it's so close to the floor. Mm -hmm. So, Yasmin created a design for an enclosed stove on a raised podium, which is much safer, cleaner, And since it's above ground, it gives the cooks a new status, too. This changes the way they are seen by their immediate society, which has helped change a little bit the attitude towards them. So they're no longer, like, stooping on the floor. They're raised on a stool or on a platform. Yeah. Yasmin says, and I quote, I really wasn't expecting this, but it has transformed the women's self-esteem. They're so proud of their stoves, which they decorate beautifully and keep absolutely spotless. I love when a smart design has an unexpected positive outcome, like raising the self-esteem of these ladies, right? That's so great. <laughs> yeah, like who would have thought it? Like, I don't know. No, Judy, will there be mm -hmm. photos of this stove in the show notes? Because I got to see this. I hope so. And <laughs> to the very least, there'll be a link okay. to a place that'll have photos. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2018, Yasmin won a World Habitat Award for her stove design. That same year, she became one of the founders of the Pakistani chapter of the International Network for Traditional Building, Architecture, and Urbanism, INTBAU, for which she is currently the chairwoman. She's raking in the awards. Mm -hmm. And leading all of the things. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just getting started. Ooh. You guys. Yasmin, in mid-March of 2020, won the prestigious Jane Drew Prize for her 20 years of humanitarian work. As a reminder, the Jane Drew Prize is given to recognize women's contribution to architecture. Previous winners of this amazing prize includes... Liz Diller, Saha Hadid, and Denise Scott Brown. Ah, I love the crossover with a few of our ladies. That's right. Sadly, her hubby, Suhail Sahir, passed away in December 2020 from COVID. Mm. Oh no, I'm so sorry to hear that. Mm -hmm. Even through grief, Yasmin continues to work and do good in the world. And for this, she continues to be recognized. 
In April 2023, the Royal Institute of British Architects, or RIBA, awarded her the 2023 Royal Gold Medal. Mm. The award is meant to highlight a lifetime of achievement for a person or a group's body of work through their career. So it's not an award that you win at 27 years old, you know? You got to have <laughs> a lot done. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I can't just keep saying wow, but yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just so glad that so many organizations are recognizing the amazing work she's doing. Yes. This is a very important award too. Like, And the fact that it's recent, like just this year, 2023, But then again, we are talking about living legends. So there you go. Yeah, true. (laughs) This is a huge deal for a lot of reasons. And I'm going to give you just three. Number one, it's the oldest architecture award in the world. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Number two, Yasmin's gold medal was the first given through the reign of Charles III. So it's historic. Nice. Whoa. And number three, Yasmin won by unanimous choice. All the judges or the panel or whatever it's called voted for her. How amazing is all of that? So amazing. I mean, wow. Facts. Wow. Facts on facts on facts. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Just killing it. Even though Yasmin retired from commercial practice back in 2000, The award is mostly to celebrate her second career of humanitarian work, which we focused on today. Yeah, because that is a whole other amazing career on its own. Right? Like, she could have stopped at retirement, and I'm sure she probably would have gotten those awards as well. Like, for her work back then, like, pre-retirement. Yeah. But she did, if not more amazing or just as amazing work after retirement. So... Yasmin, to this day, at 83 years old, continues her mission to advocate for four zeros in design. Zero carbon, zero donor, zero waste, zero poverty. Period. I love it. I love it. Yeah. The four zeros. It's catchy. hmm I'm really, really inspired by Yasmin's work and It was a real pleasure that we got to spend two episodes discussing her work. I hope that she inspires others to follow their talents and efforts to help others. Yes. Yasmin's career is so inspiring. And also the fact that she pivoted to a totally different area later in life. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important lesson for a lot of people. Just because you're doing one thing now doesn't mean that you can't move into another area of the field or something totally different. I think that can be really intimidating, but I hope that it might be liberating for people who are listening. Yes. I'm always impressed to see what our ladies can do after retirement. God doing it in quotes because their retirement plan is different than mine. <laughs> but what I think, I think this by far has been the most impressive, like, second career story that we have yet to cover. For <laughs> like, sure. And to top it all up, yeah, I'm Yasmin is still kicking. Like, so who knows what is next for her and her work? Only great things. Only great things. All right. Now we've reached the second half of our episode, the karyatid. A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. In each episode, we choose a karyatid. 
a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Drum roll, please. You take a show. Yutaka Show is a founder and principal of the General Architecture Collaborative, also known as GA Collaborative. This is a nonprofit design firm that focuses on creating inclusive projects that sustain communities and the environment. They work with individuals, organizations, and communities in order to create an equitable world through design, research, and advocacy. Mm. You talk a show. I'm so excited that we're talking about one of our professors from Syracuse. Yay. Yay. Talk a show told me. I love this. I love that we're talking about her. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yes, me too. So Yutaka is from Tokyo, Japan. She has a Bachelor of Landscape Architecture from the Rhode Island School of Design and a Master of Architecture from Harvard. And since 2008, she has been a studio professor at Syracuse University. She was Jessica Enwine's second studio professor, and I believe we might have been her second studio in Syracuse. Oh, wow. I did not realize that she started at Syracuse the same year that we did. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Um, But, you know, when we're like freshmen and stuff, everything's kind of like a blur, so. Well, sure, and we assume everyone's been there (laughs) for years before us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's probably rude to talk about favorites, to admit that you have a favorite. But Yutaka Show was my favorite professor in my years of Syracuse. Mm-hmm. The way that she spoke of design and how she pushed us to think are lessons that I carry with me to this day. Well, I'm glad that you get to recognize her in this episode then. Yes. Her studio was very memorable to me too. Like, I think we might have mentioned her in an early season where we were talking about professors. But Yutaka Show, she was definitely a professor that stood out to me. I'll say it. She was definitely in my top five favorites uh, if I had to pick, like, studio professors. Because she pushed me to be a better designer, to be more intentional with my work. So she's great. Exactly. The reason I picked Yutaka today was not just to be a fangirl. (laughs) It's because her research focuses on the roles of architecture and planning and development humanitarian, in post-calamity contexts. Yeah. Let's talk about a community center her firm worked on in Rwanda. They met with the community to understand their needs, then employed about 400 locals during the center's construction. The locals were learning trades, and the collaborative work helped to rebuild the community itself. Very cool. Listen to the way that she describes architecture and her work. She says, architecture functions not just as an object, but as a space and time for everybody to come together and grow with the building. I don't think I can rebuild a community. It's their job, the community's job. All GAC can do is to create a space and time for them to come together, to build something that is theirs. That's so true. I can definitely see the connection with Yasmin and how they empowered the local communities with techniques and tools to help better their own livelihoods. Oh, yeah. 
I would definitely identify Yutaka as a humanitarian architect as well. Also with her group, uh, JC, I'm not sure if it came up in your research, but Yutaka and JC, they are winning awards and getting recognized too, just like Jess mm-hmm. Me. Just That's in right. 2023, Azure Magazine, GAC or GAC won the People's Choice Award for Social Good. And it was for their learning and sports center in Rwanda. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Congrats. Nice. <laughs> there is a great 15 minute interview with Yutaka Show where you can learn more about her work and what fuels her passions. Check it out in our show notes. Mm. Nice. Before we say, Huda Hafiz. We want to say shukriya to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, shukriya to all of you for listening. Remember, y'all, to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as pictures of projects or programs or books that we've talked about in this episode. We hope you enjoyed learning about Yasmin and Yutaka along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, shukriya. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all of the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends your humanitarian architects, anyone involved with disaster relief, tell them all. Give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebospodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website at shebospodcast or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebospodcast.com and on X at She Builds Pot. With the Hafis. Bye. Bye. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. 
from within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. 